Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodrand. And joining me, as always, Jake Watroba and Ramon Kafai. On today's episode, it's part one of our conversation with Alexi Lawless as Greg Berhalter makes it 3-for-3, Tyler Adams plays right back, and Will Trapp finds a role. Come back tomorrow for part two of our conversation with Alexi. Listeners, if you haven't done so, follow us on the Twitter machine at UncSamSoccerPod. We always enjoy and appreciate your feedback and comments, so continue to send those in. You can find the show on any major podcast platform, so make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. Now, let's get to today's episode. Alrighty, fellas. Let's talk about some more U.S. men's national team. You know them. At Armankafai, at Jake Watroba. No pleasantries. Let's get straight to it. U.S. men's national team took on Ecuador in Orlando in front of 17,000 individuals or something like that. End up getting the 1-0 victory. Burhalter makes it 3-4-3. Three three. Jesse Zardes gets the winner in the 81st minute. Armand, it was an interesting game to follow, was it not? I thought it was a fun game to follow. I don't know. I mean, there's, we saw some little tactical wrinkles that... Berhalter threw in, um, you know, with Adams playing at right back, how that would be deployed. Uh, the center mids pushing up and down the pitch, the center backs and their distribution. So, I mean, I, overall, I thought it was, you know, it was the first U.S. men's national team. I sat back and I and kind of enjoyed watching it in a very long time. Jake, same thoughts for you. Did you enjoy watching the game? Yes and no. There, Like Armand said, we clearly had a plan, um, which is good considering where we were uh, this time last year. But there were some concerns that I, uh, one big concern I, I do want to raise. And we talked about this a lot as we uh, got closer to the Ecuador match, which was Tyler Adams moving to right back. I actually was okay with the move. I, I thought, let's see it. Let's see how it plays out. And there was one thing about the, 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 move, uh, the, the tactical move of placing Adams at right back. And Taylor Twelman pointed this out several times throughout the broadcast was with Adams pushed up into the midfield and that ball when the U S loses possession, 
and they get turned over, the U.S. is caught in an awkward position with Adams pushed up so far into the midfield. And my biggest question is, how is this system going to work against bigger teams than Ecuador? How is this going to work against Mexico or uh, if we happen to play a team like Germany or, or teams, teams I don't think like Germany that. is the team that we want to now say against. Let's say France, because I think Germany has fallen off a cliff. Yeah, but I would think we even if they even <laughs> if they've fallen off a cliff, we will all say Germany is still much better than the U.S. right now. Fair enough. Maybe it's just. My European, I'm just throwing my it out European there. snobness coming through here talking but, but, about European football. If, but... <laughs> if, if the U.S. played against Switzerland, if the U.S. played against Switzerland, would yes. they get exposed? No, I mean, I thought during the game you saw just Ecuador being able to use those holes in the midfield, especially to break. And Armand, you, you'll be able to explain better than Jake and I can, but is Burrowhalter's system a dominant possession game? They did end up holding possession for 63% of the game. Yes, and it, it kind of has to be, right? I mean, you with especially with J, what Jake is saying, you know, with, with Adams pushing up and going centrally, like you need to dominate possession so you don't get caught out in those certain situations. Yeah, I would say Burrowhalter's system is like that, um, but specifically... With Adams, I know when Guardiola, I know I don't want to mention a Guardiola link, but when City tucks in their uh, fullbacks, it's to try to limit transitions. So if they if there's a transition play, boom, then get onto it immediately. I'm not sure if the U.S. has that skill of players to implement a system like that. Um, so they could get caught out, and especially also uh, this past weekend we saw Tata Martino make his debut with uh, Mexico and El Tri. And we all know how Tata Martino's system is like. I, I would expect that area, especially with dynamic player, maybe such as a Chucky Lozano, to exploit that space. And then if you get that space exploited, you're in a little bit of a pickle, especially when you're playing against Mexico and not Ecuador, who's looking not to score, to be honest. On the flip side of that, we're talking about the defensive shape here of the U.S. men's national team. Brooks and Long did play well. And I think this is a big positive because – a lot of questions are surrounding the defensive center back pairing. Who is it going to be? And they kept Brooks and John kept things organized, kept things moving, and good distribution out of the back. And I think this is critical for a Burhalter system that does want to play that possession game. And then it would limit that hole of Adams pushing into the midfield where you would have on that right side. No, I mean, the center backs, I think, have to play a massive role. And especially in a possession-dominated system, you want them to be able to break lines and skip lines as well. So, you mean, you don't want them just play that easy pass, you know, maybe to Adams or to Will Trap in that role or whoever's in the center mid. You also want them to skip lines too, whether that's, you know, they're, the middle's all kind of, I guess, clogged up. All right, let me skip pass and find Jordan Morris on the right-hand side. Or let me skip and find Paul Oriola. Or, you know, let me skip the defensive line and go find Pulisic, who can then lay it off, and we'll just go from there. I think skipping lines is, is important. Um, the Red Bulls are really good at that in MLS play uh, with where they're where the ball's at. They like skipping lines. And uh, we have to re reach our FC Dallas quota during the show. So um, FC Dallas actually did that as well yes, yesterday, just trying to skip lines instead of being so possession-dominant, possession sacrificing some possession. 
I think it's, they they need they have to play an important role and they have to be good on their feet, which I think both were during the match. Guys, I think it's time that we issue an apology letter to Will Trap. Hundred percent. He he played a a, a very uh, a very good game. I thought getting you know getting the balls out, spraying balls all over the pitch, um, as Stephen alluded to in a, in your little post match assessment on Twitter, did a good job distributing the ball. And I think it just shows how well Will Trap can play when he's under a competent coach in a a better, more organized system uh, under Greg Berhalter. Doesn't it justify Berhalter's decision of calling up who he did? Because there was so much critic criticism surrounding his roster to begin with these friendlies that they're justified in the sense that, and I think Armand perfectly summed it up, is... Berhalter is not looking for the most talented players. He's looking for the right players for his system. Yeah, no, you're right. Exactly. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and like we talked about a couple shows ago is, you know, Will Trapp and Jossie Zardes are probably going to be used to teach other players on this team how to play within Greg Berhalter's system. Yeah, I mean, it's not like magic. People were saying, hey, like, where are the point of coaches? You know, this, that. It's like, you still need guys that are comfortable with system and say, hey, some people are learning best from example. If you have an example out there, you know, like Will Trapp or, you know, Zardes of, hey, how's a forward want to play in that role? Then it helps a lot more when you can actually see it than, you know, just, you know, with the tactical whiteboard just drawing on the lines. I mean, I think Will Trapp, you know, spraying the balls around was pretty great. Uh, I'm honestly curious to see what's the depth in that position because, Jake, every time you brought it up in that one part with uh, Jason, uh, it just keeps bringing – I just keep your mind of it. Who else do we got? that could play that role as well. Because, I mean, will Bradley be a starter in the World Cup? Probably not. Is Will Trap good enough? I'm not sure, but he looked pretty solid that day. Is there anyone else that can back him up? Well, I mean, watching that U23s, eh, scary thoughts. Scary <sighs> thoughts. Knowing yeah, yeah, that ex- position is a huge hole after Will Trap. I mean, I'd be interested to see if you know a guy I mean, like Chris Durkin steps up. Or something like that, but I think it's a little too early to tell with those guys. I'm just—it's a little scary thought because I mean, like I said, I think it's a really important position in terms of you know that distribution and being just defensive. I think those are all key instructions that Burhalter wants. But I mean, overall, guys, I was—I enjoyed watching U.S. soccer for the first time in a little bit. I can't there lie to you. Go. Hashtag what? Trust the process. Uh, with the win, Burhalter followed Bob Bradley as the second men's national team head coach to begin his tenure with three straight victories. A win Tuesday night against Chile would see Burhalter set the record for most victories at the start of a coaching tenure. It's a little bit of a flawed statistic when you're playing Costa Rica, Panama, and Ecuador. It's not necessarily some of the powerhouses within world football, but I'm sure the Federation took note and wanted Burhalter to get on some easy victory, so I think it would calm the fan base. Guys, before we get to Alexi Lawless, start going around with Jake. Biggest concern coming out of the Ecuador game? Well, my biggest concern, I guess, would be what I alluded to earlier was just the the decision to move Tyler Adams to right back and what that means when the U.S. turns the ball over in possession. Like I said, I just I'm concerned with what what this team is going to do when they play a better opponent and how they're going to react to a better counter-attacking team than Ecuador. And if that means maybe you are forced to play DeAndre Yedlin as the winger so he can get back and cover for 
Tyler Adams when he when the ball gets turned over and he's stuck in the midfield. And I think that also probably creates some problems on the attack too. So we'll you know definitely have to wait and see how that whole thing plays out. Yeah, the biggest concern for me was Weston McKinney's injury, to be honest with you. It was a nasty yeah. ankle sprain. Some ligaments allegedly have been, you know, affected. Uh, hopefully he's okay for the Gold Cup, but losing a guy like him, especially getting valuable club minutes, at a team like Schalke in a very high-pressure situation in the relegation zone, um, they, those are really big moments for him to learn. And it sucks that he got injured in uh, on that on that play. Uh, my concern is where the goal is going to come from. I I think I'm going to pound this drum for a while. We are still very uncreative in the final third. And finishing, we need finishers. And right now we have a, somewhat creators. We just don't have any clinical finishers. And until we find that position, or that player to fill in that position, it's going to be concerned because... There are games where you could dominate possession for 60-70% of the game, but if you can't finish, it all goes to waste. So we'll see how it is. Up next, Alexi Lawless. Joining us right now is the one and only Alexi Lawless. Alexi, how are we doing today? Gentlemen, uh, greetings from Los Angeles. Uh, what am I doing today? I have some AYSO in my future, and I'm sitting here in my office working up uh, a new batch of uh, takes for the week, including a uh, little rant on uh, the U.S. men's national team as it uh, gets back uh, again under uh, the Greg Berhalter era. Uh, and for the first time this week, as you guys know, the integration of uh, the European players. So we're seeing how that continues to progress. Alexi, I, I, I wanted to ask you, you were in the studio, I think, uh, last week or a week and a half ago, recording some vocals for your upcoming album. How did that go? <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, uh, I, I feel I have a responsibility um, to provide uh, content when it comes to my music to all three people that buy it, um, including uh, my mother. Um, although at times, at times she's my worst critic, so I don't even know. Maybe it's only two. But yeah, so I'll put out another album this summer. I'm in the middle of uh, finishing it up here. So I was doing some vocals last week. It's a, a labor of love, something I continue to do. Just straight ahead, pop rock, put it in your, uh, in your car, put the windows down, drive fast, and, uh, and, and crank it up. So that's that's what I that's what I do uh, to relieve myself if there's ever any time of uh, uh, of stress or consternation when it comes to life and uh, and my real job. Oh, that sounds exciting! Can't wait to listen. But Alexi, let's talk about the Ecuador game here in the first segment. We're discussing Tyler Adams playing that right back position. Overall, what were your thoughts about that? Well, I'm staring at my screen here, and I'm writing about uh, you know not just the Tyler Adams situation, but this continued, um, you know, you know, this work in progress that is the national team under Greg Berhalter and, you know, specific for, you know, something like the, the right back position. And we saw Lima play it uh, earlier on, albeit against much lesser quality. And, you know, this, whether you agree or not with Greg Berhalter, I think we all have to at least respect the fact that he's been pretty clear 
and upfront and very public about how he wants to play. And, um, you know, I've, I've always said that I'd rather have a flawed plan than no plan at all. And certainly, uh, at the very least, Greg Berhalter has a plan. Now, we can agree or disagree as to its right. And when it comes to something like uh, Tyler Adams playing this hybrid type of right back position that, that morphs into a much more central type of midfield position when they're attacking and then moves back in, um, you know, that's, that's interesting to me. I don't know ultimately how it works out, but I think he's not alone in terms of now trying to understand exactly what Greg Berhalter wants. And it's Greg Berhalter's responsibility to both explain it to, to Tyler Adams. And, uh, you know, I don't think we got a whole lot out of the, uh, the game the other day as to if this is going to continue on. But uh, uh, the other part is to make sure that, that Tyler Adams, if it's Tyler Adams or anybody else, buys into it. And I'll, I'll give you a little uh, preview of what I, you know, the question that I'm asking this week on, on my podcast is uh, the State of the Union is what happens if we find that the system that Greg Berhalter is implementing doesn't necessarily complement all of the, let's say, much high profile, much more high profile players like a Tyler Adams, like a Weston McKinney, like a Christian Pulisic. Is that is that OK with people if you start to say, well, you know what, just because they're making a lot of money and they're playing at the big leagues in the, in, in the world, if they don't fit the system, is it OK to look at somebody else? Is it OK, even dare I say it, not to have them involved? Now, I still think that guys like Kyle Adams are still going to be involved, but it does bring up a, an interesting question as to is, you know, I always say that the national team isn't about the best players. It's about the best collection of players. And with this new system and his ability to articulate it very publicly, everybody understands what it is. And it might not be the players that we put on a pedestal that ultimately make this system go. So that's what's going to be fascinating for me as we go on, not just in these upcoming games, but obviously as we get into the summer where it really matters in the, in the Gold Cup and we start to really judge Greg Berhalter and we start to really judge this implementation of this system uh, going forward. So it's just it's a fun time and a really interesting time, I think, right now to be watching this U.S. men's national team kind of come to, you know, come into being under Greg Berhalter. Alexi, you somewhat stole my, well, not stole my take, but we have, we have similar thoughts. My question with Berhalter, as we see his game plan here and, and that as that progresses is, is his plan a, maybe too complex B do the players not fit the system? I, I wonder how this is going to work out. And is he going to, you know, be flexible and change it to the players, or is he going to select the players for his plan? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're looking at somebody that's a true believer. And, you know, I've known Greg for, for years, and, uh, you know, I love the fact that he is a true believer. I mean, if you don't believe in what you're doing yourself, then nobody's going to believe in it. And as I said, you know, we, we don't have to necessarily agree with it, but what I don't want to see happen is that we're winging it. And for too, often we, for too long and too often, I think we have gone out there and, and we're winging it. And that's, that's, not, that's not something that I want. And I know that's not what players want. You may, not, you may not agree ultimately with what you're being told, but I don't think any player at any point is under Greg Berhalter is not going to know at least what their responsibility is. They might question whether they can do it uh, or whether they want to do it, but it's very, very clear as to what they're, what they're going to do. Now, look, this is real early days in terms of Greg Berhalter as a national team coach, which is a very different proposition than being the coach of Columbus or any type of uh, domestic club team. And so he's going to have to 
certainly adjust. And I think he'll be a different coach a year from now than he is right now. This summer, once again, is going to be really interesting to see if he does adjust his thinking um, or if he is a, um, a romantic. And can you afford to be a romantic when you're coaching the national team? It's one thing if you're coaching Manchester City or if you're coaching Brazil. You can afford to be romantic and you can afford to stick to your guns at all costs. And, and with what you believe is true. But when you're playing, you know, when you're a coach for the U.S. men's national team uh, in 2019, it gets a little bit more difficult to do that and to stand on principle when ultimately we judge results. I mean, the game the other day, they won. And they have not lost yet under Greg Berhalter. And that's, that's a good thing. Results are, are very important, even though we try to peel it back and say, well, they're not the most important thing. We have to see what this process is all about right now. But ultimately, you're getting results. And I know not, at times it's not always pretty, but I think the bigger picture is, are they working and, and progressing and evolving and getting better at what we think this Greg Berhalter system uh, has come to be defined as? I just want to go back to the uh, Tyler Adams, which Alexi, um, watching that, we I know we didn't take that much from the friendly, but watching that position, there was kind of times where Adams' side was a little exposed because he tucked in so much, and Ecuador was able to find that passage through a counter. Do you think that might be a concern, uh, you know, going into May matchups against teams that maybe weren't like Ecuador and maybe are more attacking-minded and yeah. want to go attack through that side? Yeah, I mean— yeah, and that's the you know that's the danger. And look, I'm, Greg Berhalter understands this, and I think the team understands that they were playing against a team that had that wanted no part in attacking. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen uh, going forward, especially in Concacaf, when we know we're going to face some inferior competition and we're going to be asked to break down a team. Now, the danger will be if and when that team comes about and they have the ability to counter, and they're and they're much more deadly in terms of that just taking one or two opportunities that they get and when that space does open out and it becomes more of a three in in, in the attacking and then that transition happens and that space is open yeah I mean that's that's what's fun right now of seeing this is how how Greg Berhalter is articulating it how how the different players play it whether it's you know, earlier this year, we saw Lima play it, but uh, now we've seen a Tyler Adams play it. Does DeAndre Yedlin ever get a chance to kind of go back and say, yeah, I can still do that? Or does Greg Berhalter, as he's, as he's made mention over the last week, say, no, I see him as a much more attacking type of, uh, of option. So I think, I think there's a whole lot. There's, there's still a lot of questions as to how this is going to work, what the personnel is going to be. And more importantly, look, this isn't about qualifying for the World Cup. That's something that we should expect, notwithstanding the failure that we had last time. This is ultimately about going to a World Cup, doing well, and yes, about winning a men's World Cup. And in order to do that, you have to compete against the elite in the world. So we know that we are going to play against elite teams, and elite teams don't always have all the possession. Some elite teams are elite because they can just drive that dagger in at that moment when they have that transition because they have the speed and they have the quality to kill you even when they don't have the ball. And then when that turnover happens, they are deadly. So, yeah, there's, there's still a lot to be decided as to – and I'm not just talking about the right back position. I'm talking about this whole team as to, you know, for example, playing out of the back. So all fine and well when you're playing against inferior comp- uh, competition or competition that's not going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on you. But what happens when someone brings the HP sauce, that high-pressure sauce, and they're very, very good at dispossessing you in really dangerous areas? Are you still going to try to play out of the back? This reminds me of the, you know, the, the movie Tin Cup where – uh, you know, the last scene is, is the golfer just trying to get the ball over the water. And, you know, he's a romantic and he, he, he would, he's not going to you know, drop and he's not going to lay up or anything like that. He's going to go for it each and every time. 
and there's there is a there is a romance to that. Yeah, there's a a um, a respect factor that comes to that. But ulti- ultimately, if you lose, is is that something that you want to be a part of? Listeners, come back tomorrow and catch part two of our conversation with Alexi Lawless as we discuss Christian Pulisic and the number ten. If you haven't done so, follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod, at Steven Jodderant, at Armankafai, at Jake Watroba, and until tomorrow. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.